0: Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson, and I'm a chartered management accountant, and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition, or at some point in the future, wanna exit their business. We're gonna bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses, and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Judy Wilkinson, and I'm the owner and founder of Wilkinson Accounting Solutions. I started the podcast at the back of the work we do at Wilkinson's because um, we work on three to five acquisitions every month. And I realized there was quite a big gap in the market of financial understandings uh, for buyers and sellers on acquisitions. So I'm really excited today to have Matthew Cusack. Um I've met Matthew, well, probably a year or so ago, and he is the Managing Director of National Business Register. Matthew has Completed about six exits and 12 acquisitions in the past and also acquired the National Business Register with other partners Um, and over the last three years have tripled the EBITDA so, I'm sure Matt's going to be able to bring lots of good top tips to buyers and probably sellers as well, thinking about um, selling businesses. So, first of all, Matt, I just want to hand it over to you and let you introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, Julie. No, great to be on the podcast. And yeah, this is new territory for me, my first ever podcast. Nice. So, I spend most of my life talking to people, but not on a podcast um, for them. So, no, it's great. I think further to what you said, I think you, you've summed it up pretty well there. But my background very much is, an accountant by trade and then went into FDCFO roles in my mid-twenties, pretty young to have those roles, had to learn a lot on the job and then buy and build exits mainly into private equity and then working with CEOs and management teams to support with acquisition and sale. And then finally, after helping make a few people quite a lot of money over a few, pe- a few years, I thought, well, actually it'd be nice to have a go running a business myself. And so alongside my wife, and they say you should never buy a business with your wife, but we did. And as the business partner, we acquired National Business Register, which is an intellectual property specialist in August 2020. So we acquired it during COVID and it's been a great experience. Learned an awful lot in those last three years. Big difference. Big difference moving from running the finance function to running the business as a whole. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know... National Business Register, one of the things you specialise in is IP, intellectual property, which I think I know from when we work with people on deals and we talk about trademarks and intellectual property, it, it is something that a lot of people have considered, especially sellers, like getting set up, ready to sell. So I think it'd be a good place to start. I mean, if just in summary, what is IP for people that don't know and why is it important to
1: them? Fundamentally, it's brand protection. And that can come in the form of protecting your name, your logo, even your smell, which is sits under a trademark. If you are a manufacturer, then, and you've designed something that has an, a novel appearance outward shape, then that would be protected under a registered design. If you're in the music industry, then you would want copyright protection over the songs that you've that you've written. And then you, you also, I mean, we don't offer patents, but... Clearly, if you are creating something that is completely innovative and new as a process or a recipe, then you'd want to patent that because fundamentally, the value is in the IP. We read a stat recently from the Intellectual Property Office, which said that 70% of the value in a business is actually in intangible assets in its intellectual property, which is true. When you come to exit, you're buying a multiple, yes, of profits, but also of the goodwill, aren't you? And the goodwill is made up quite, quite largely of the intellectual property and the brand that has been created over those years. I mean, just a a little quip, I, I was presenting at a group last week and I asked three questions. I didn't know this room at all. And I said, number one, who here has created a brand that they're proud of? Everyone in the room put their hand up. Number two, who has spent time, effort and money creating that brand? Everyone put their hand up. Question number three, who has put some intellectual property protection in place to protect that brand? one hand went up and it was just like you could hear a pin drop and everyone around the room was like oh right okay and off the back of that we've had a flurry of conversations to to try and help some people but it's an area that's growing that we're seeing seeing huge growth in there's over two million trademarks registered every year in the uk alone and, and that's that's growing exponentially at the moment so so it's a huge area and something that buyers and sellers i think need to be more and more aware of as they go into transactions
0: yeah i know that at wilkinson's we trademarked our brand and i think that came off the back of speaking to you guys like a little way back when so if you are a service-based business and maybe you've got men with vans you're a man with a van you know you've got signposts all over your vans i mean if you don't have ip in the business so if you're not protecting trademarking or protecting the brand what sort of risks because I'm presuming there's obviously risk just day-to-day trading, not having the IP, but then obviously if you're buying that business, that risk then goes over to you as the buyer. But what would you say are the key risks of sort of brand damage or not, not having intellectual property on the brands?
1: Well, if you don't protect it fundamentally, someone else can come in and take that name and register it themselves at the IPO. And then that can make your life very, very difficult in terms of future trade. So if you spent some time building that brand and building that trade, it can quite quickly become quite difficult for you to trade if someone registers that trademark in that name. So our view is you, you, would, you spend 20 grand on a van, you'll spend however many thousand on putting the signage on the side of the van and wrapping it, surely spending 500 quid on a trademark to actually protect it and, and get everything locked down so that you can then plan moving forwards and growing that brand. That's the key thing really as a business owner, and you know, this as well, the last thing you want to be doing is, is, is dealing with, with problems, dealing with admin. You want to be dealing with, you want to be dealing with growth and new clients and new transactions to work on. So again, it's kind of, it gives peace of mind very much and certainly peace of mind to a buyer. That, that IP that they're acquiring, that brand that they're acquiring, will actually stay strong after the completion of the transaction.
0: And I suppose worst case scenario, it could also not only could someone steal your brand. I suppose there's risk that you could be sued if they, someone else, think you have stolen their brands. Because when you, oh, completely. Because when you're trademarking, you're checking, aren't you, in the in the registers whether anybody else is associated with that brand. So if you've been been traded a long period of time and you've spent all this money on the brands, not only because someone copy you, but you could actually be at risk of that you've never checked, that you're not copying someone else.
1: We've done a lot of work in the last 12 months with accountants and it kind of landed in our lap, this work. And it came from one case where there was a guy who set up his own joinery business and he'd gone to his accountant She'd set the the, the company up, and then he started trading under that name. Anyway, three years in, the business has grown really well. It's quite a unique name, unique brand that he's got around this. And he had two letters from quite a large corporate, both basically saying, you've stolen our name. We trademarked this name five years ago and we've been trading over this five years. You can't just come in and pinch our name. So he was in a mass panic, fundamentally, and, and, and we, we, we got involved and managed to, to give him some help. But had he not come across us, he'd already got quotes for £4,500 to do a full rebrand, to change his name, which would have meant then existing customers of his would have not known that he had rebranded. And it also may, may have spooked some of his ex- existing and, and, and newer customers as well, that maybe he'd gone through a transaction or there'd been something going on behind the scenes that, that was untoward. So that caused him an awful lot of stress and took up an awful lot of his time when he'd done something, set up his company through, through his, his, his accountant, thinking that he was completely protected. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions of all. People think that when you register a company at Company's House, that actually that's protecting your IP. And it's not at all. They're two totally separate things. Company's House is just a it's just a, a log of of a name that is available. The IP, the IPO, the Intellectual Property Office, is where you're registering a unique trademark, a unique name. As an example, as an example, I live in a place called Alvechurch. If I wanted to, I could go on Company's House and set up a company called Adidas Alvechurch Limited. But you can be sure as heck who next week's going to be knocking on my door saying, we've registered X number of trademarks with the IPO using Ad- Adidas. And that's that's the point that. More and more people need to understand company's house doesn't protect you. Registering the IP really does.
0: So if someone's buying a business then, what would you say is one of the most important questions when it comes to IP for them to be thinking about when they're talking to the sellers?
1: What have you done to protect your intellectual property? What intellectual property do you have? Have you had an audit performed on your brand to check whether you're infringing on anybody else?
0: And if they haven't, so, but, but, and if they haven't, because yeah. I imagine a lot of sellers probably haven't, like you said, a lot of people maybe haven't thought about it, is there certain things then that you would think that they should put in the warranties of like their agreements on IP? Because I'm presuming, obviously, they could, once they buy it, they could protect it. But I mean, obviously, that could be too late, you know, if they've already signed it, and then they go afterwards, and they do the trademark, and there's something that comes in breach. It could be so... What what's then sort of sensible clauses and discussions to be having as part of the shareholders agreement?
1: Well, I'd say that I'd say that within the, the sale and purchase agreement to start with, in the disclosure letter, I would probably get a search report performed by an independent party on that that brand name, and on the basis that that comes back clean, i.e., there is no that there, there, there is if they haven't registered the trademark and then the search report comes back showing that there is no infringement of any other marks that are registered, that would suggest at that particular moment in time that actually there is no infringement. Therefore, if you put that in the disclosure letter, almost date and time stamped, that gives protection to both sides actually, but it's clearly evidenced as, as, a, as a supporting piece of documentation within the SPA, and that can be done relatively cheaply.
0: Okay. And is that the side of, do you do those third party checks? Is that something that your company does, the National Business Register?
1: The, the, first, the first thing that we do as part of any trademark, ser, trademark process is the searches. Right. Oh, okay. Before we do anything else. The, the, the last thing you want to do is take a customer's money, apply for a trademark, and actually that name's already been taken. So the searches is always is is rule number one. We we, we don't do anything. We, we we don't take on a case if someone's not prepared to do the searches because it's our reputation at stake.
0: So then, if the search happens and there isn't a infringement anywhere, then obviously that's probably best case scenario, and then you can put that. What happens if you do the search? So if there's a transaction going on in an acquisition and that and something comes to light that there potentially is a breach, what would you suggest would be the next stages of that?
1: Well, you could. You could go down one of two routes. Firstly, you could look to, if there is a potential breach, one is, you, which is a, a last minute thing, you change your name and register the trademark in, in that brand. Two, you have to disclose that, obviously, because that has an impact on value. But point three would be, you can often reach out to the other side who has got the similar trademark to say, we're Wilkinson accounting based in Peterborough your Wilkinson Accounting based in Glasgow. Yes, Wilkinson Accounting based in Glasgow, you've got the trademark over the UK. But we're not going to come to Scotland. That's where most of your client base is. Can we agree to coexist so long as we don't broadcast ourselves as as having any any affiliation to you and we will stay within our within our localized remit. I think I think that's that's one option, but definitely open dialogue. Definitely open dialogue to try and find a way to 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 get a assigned document which says that you can coexist one with the other
0: yeah yeah and i suppose buyers obviously a lot of buyers are then setting up entities and group entities to buy these businesses in the first place So i suppose they should also be looking at the ip of the groups that they're setting up because they could also just be at risk of infringement just as much as like a long standing long-standing company
1: completely so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, as I said, the, the, the process is relatively straightforward and, and, and can be from search to application. It can take a matter of weeks. It really doesn't take very long. So, so I suppose, what would I say? The sooner that, that this is looked at within a process, the better. And if I were a seller performing some internal DD on myself, it's something that I would be looking at. To just remove as part of the noise of the transaction, there's so much going on in a, in a, in a business sale that you want to remove as many of the, the red flags as possible, don't you? And this is, this is one of those things that can potentially scupper a deal. And we, we, we've seen that. I mean, j- just by way of example, we were working with some guys who, some young guys They developed a brand, grown very, very well. They've had some investment put forward for 20 million. The investors found out that the name that these guys want has been already registered by somebody else a few years ago. These guys didn't do their checks when they set the business up. And the investor has now said, until this is sorted, we're going to withhold 40% of the investment from you. It's a 7.2 million pounds. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money just because they didn't do some checks at the start of the process. When they were setting the business up, yeah. so it, it, it's only it's, it's examples like that 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 highlight relatively how how important it is to to get these these things put in place.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had I saw something similar through an accounting transaction. So I was speaking to someone once who wanted to do an adjusted EBITDA because they'd spent a lot on R and D, and obviously they thought they had expensed all their R and D into the into the P and L. They didn't have any management accounts; they only had the yearly financial statements to go off. So they thought they could just, there'd be about 1.5 million of R&D that had gone through. When we actually came to look at the um, transactions the account had actually already capitalized the R&D in the financial statements so in the numbers that they were using the 1.5 million wasn't in the p it was already capitalized on the balance sheet that changed their valuation by nearly four by four over four and a half million you know like on an average three times basis just because they didn't understand one account in principle there's so many things in a transaction that can make uh, real problems for investments and and valuations of deals and i do think ip is a big one because i know when we do we see so many deals i would say we we do have we have a question now just to ask if any if on full due diligence if people have trademarks and i would say 90 percent of the time what we see is no and like you say for such a small amount of money you know a few hundred pound you can at least get it trademarked initially so at least you are partly protected and obviously it could become more complicated i suppose depending on what you do and like you say there could then be patents and things like that required but i suppose just on a basic level just the trademark of the name is a star isn't it
1: yeah, completely. And, and even if you can't trademark the name, you might be able to trademark the logo. So, so again, it's, it's one of those things that if there is an infringement with another party, you can, go, you can have some coexistence which goes, well, the words, Wilkinson Accounting as an example, we're not going to advertise that word mark. What we're going to do is advertise our logo. And it's so, so what you do is you, you say, okay, so Glasgow-based Wilkinson Accounting, your logo is, is pink and red. As is blue and white. We, that, that shows we're distinctive enough that we can work in cooperation with one another if we register the logo mark. So it, I think a lot of it is, it's about, first, you've got to understand what, you don't know what you don't know, do you, as a business owner? So one, it's, it's, it's making them aware of, of the importance of IP. Two, doing something about it quite quickly, certainly at the initial stages of, of looking at a transaction. And three, putting measures in place to, to protect yourself and also protect the buyer and therefore protect the value Mm. in the transaction.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Like you say, it it can be quite simple, but it can be quite complicated as well. So it's definitely something for people to think about. And then obviously, I think just from your own experience with doing so many exits and acquisitions, I think if we just move away from IP slightly in terms of warranties as a whole, what do you think? Because we never we've never really discussed warranties on the show before. What do you think is one of the most important things about the warranties? Um, my experience is I don't always know if buyers really understand the warranties and the agreements. Someone's writing it and it's complicated. But if you were going to summarise in simple terms, obviously you've been involved in that process quite a bit, what would you say are the key important things for people to understand, like to try and understand about warranties?
1: The factual statements that you are adhering to. So if there is a warranty that says, I warrant that there is no debt over 60 days. Well, actually, if you, if, if you, in a blasé fashion, just go, yeah, I'll just sign that off. But actually, if you look at your age debt report and you've got 250 grand that's 90 days and over, you've immediately breached a warranty. If you breach breached a warranty, then after the completion, that warranty can then be, you could then go into litigation effectively with, with, the, with the buyer because they could say, well, you said factually over here that there was no debt that, was, that it was over 60 days and we've got proof here that that was the case. Therefore, then you go into litigation and that can get very messy and extremely expensive and extremely stressful. And that is why the, I think if there's one thing that I would stress to, to listeners, it's amongst all of the, the whirlwind that there is in a transaction, really take the time to sit with your accountant, to sit with your lawyer, and properly understand the warranties and properly and realize the implications of breaching them, that they're not just statements on a piece of paper. Whenever I'm talking to people about the SBA, the sale and purchase agreement, I try to replace the word sale and purchase agreement with contract because actually then most business owners, they know what a contract is and 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 they've grown their businesses quite often with Probably quite strong commercial contracts with with customers and suppliers. So if if you get them into that mindset to approach the SPA in the same way, I find that's really really helpful. So that they they they're, they're really focused on, on on understanding that these aren't just throwaway terms that they do have meaning and there could be that there could be some action after the completion, and that's not what anybody wants. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, when I know where we work on deals, as an example. We'll, when we assess the financial performance of the business, if we see something that we think is high risk, we always typically speak to the solicitors or advise the solicitors we found there. I mean, ultimately, you know, we can't be responsible for writing the legal terms because that needs to come from the solicitor. But we would generally advise if we saw something because they can't. There are normally standard clauses in the SPA for sort of tax and finance. But like you say, I think there should there can be additional clauses in there if there's something significant, especially things like you know if there's no stock report, but there's you know five hundred thousand pounds worth of stock on the balance sheet, and then there's no stock report to back it up. I mean, the first thing I'd be thinking is, well, what? Um, what happens if that stock is dilapidated or unsellable? But you've bought that five hundred thousand pounds of stock. Yeah, you, know, you definitely want to be able to. And, and will a standard clause cover that? So I think it's important to. Uh, uh, so we would typically uh, highlight where we see big risks, and we would we would advise the solicitors of that, and then uh, like get the solicitors to think about the wording that they use because it might be have to expand the warranties to include other elements that maybe aren't traditionally in there.
1: Yeah, completely. So. And I think really every transaction, by and large, this, every transaction is unique and every transaction throws up its challenges. I don't believe, I've never seen a vanilla SPA used, which is just off the shelf. Every, everyone has been tweaked in some way or another, but that's also the importance of the disclosure letter as well, that understanding the disclosure letter sits back to back with the warranties as well. So if you do have, using the example I cited earlier, if you do have debt that's over 60 days, then on the basis that you disclose that within the disclosure letter, you've kind of, as, as the seller gone, there you go, we can't sign this warranty off because of this piece of paper here. And you kind of exonerated yourself and passed that on to the buyer to, to, to see whether they're going to accept the risk. But on the basis that they do accept that risk, they can't then bring a warranty claim after the event against it because you've been upfront and transparent. So, so I suppose that's the other point as well. Is if there are issues, don't hide and think that you you're going to be able to to, to just get away with it. It, it just doesn't work, particularly as transactions get a bit larger. If there are any skeletons and you haven't disclosed them, they they will come out, and the cost of a warranty claim is is off the chart. So, yeah, you you want you want to make sure that. When you've worked so hard to build your business, your brand that you can exit it and 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 enjoy your life afterwards and and not be stressed
0: yeah definitely it's um and i do and there's often lots of problems after acquisitions or what I see, and I do think that's partly because um I do just think buyers and sellers don't understand the legal terminology of the agreements I mean I've actually seen deals where if I've got involved after the acquisition, where buyer and seller wasn't even aligned on the sale price, which just seems. You just can't believe that someone would sell a business, but they they sometimes they're not even aligned on that. And I think, you know, every each person in the transaction has to take accountability for their own thing. You know, if you're selling your business, you have to make sure and you want to make sure you get the best deal and have no risk of it. You can't just think, oh, I, you know, I don't understand any of it. I'll just sign it because then you can have a really bad deal after the acquisition. Same goes for the buy, you know, you have to be in communication and make sure you're both on the same page of it. So Oh, God, time flies. This has been so good. I I think the IP is really interesting. So as we're sort of coming towards the end of the podcast, if someone was a bit concerned about IP, maybe they're part way through a transaction now, or they're going to market to sell, and they've maybe listened to the podcast or thought, "I think I might need to do something about this." What should they do? How? How? What? What should be the action that they take?
1: Well, firstly, I'd say get in touch with yourself, and very happy for them to get in touch with me directly. We'll have a conversation with anyone free of charge just to understand what the, what the issue is. But I think, I th- I think open the lines of communication as early as possible with someone who is, is an expert in that field. Then you can understand the scale of the problem, even if, the, if there is one, and then you can propose a solution. And then quite quickly, you can turn something that feels like a big problem into, in, in, into a non-issue quite quickly. And then that's a box ticked and you move on through through, through to the next stage of the transaction itself. So yeah, I, I would absolutely say anyone wants to speak to us, then we're very, very happy to have a conversation with them.
0: Okay, so if someone needs to get hold of you how do they contact you? What's the best
1: form? So they can email me uh, Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W at dot LinkedIn, you'll find me Matthew Cusack um, C-U-S-A-C-K and very happy also for anyone to contact you, Julie, and you to pass their details on to me as well.
0: Oh, definitely. Oh, well, thanks, Matt. It's been really great. And um, I definitely think, you know, that 7 million hold up of investment um, because someone had not checked their f- spent 500 pound on the trademark is a bit of a, um, hopefully that will hit home to people. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And to all of our listeners, um, hit the subscribe button so more listeners can find us. And I'll see you again soon. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon.